back, everybody, to Overdue Rentals. I'm Matthew Shuckman. And I'm Cinema Blends Mike Reyes. And today we are joined by the one and only, you know him as Jack Septicti. Maybe you know him as Sean McLaughlin. I don't know, but he's here with us. Welcome. Yeah. You might know me as that loud, annoying, obnoxious person on the internet either. <laughs> or that person that somebody has listened to and you're like, God, what is wrong with you? Because <laughs> that's, that's such a niche market on the internet. Yeah. I own it though. Yeah, and you coming up on ten years. That's my market. Everybody else, stay out. <laughs> yeah, the, pat, the patents in then. You you get you got all the 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 IP it's, ready to go. Yeah, it's pending. It's a hard one to to hammer down, but we'll get there. <laughs> well, you know, for those who don't know, we we have Sean here with us because on February twenty eighth, there is going to be the premiere of a documentary based on his stage show. Uh, How did we get here? And uh, you know, we got we got a chance to look at it. Which thank thank you for that. Um, and, you know, basically just kind of give us a quick rundown of how it came to be that you wanted to turn this from stage to docu- documentary. Uh, yeah, well, I was doing the tour anyway, and I, I knew it was something that I wanted to document in some form, if whether it was through pictures or whatever. I, I wanted something to kind of like memorialize it just for myself and have it as an archival thing to look back on. And also we were recording the shows anyway, because I just wanted to watch them to see what I was doing wrong or what I feel like I could do better. Because I'd never done like stand up before, and I especially on a live stage. So I wanted to figure out what to fix if I needed to. And then as we were going, we knew we wanted to capture sort of behind the scenes and seeing what it was like. Because I've never been on tour before. So my fans wanted, would want to see what was going on behind the scenes. And I think as it progressed, and because the show was sort of a thing about life and how I got where I am, and the whole show is kind of like pulling the veil back on what it is to be a person on the internet and a YouTuber and what fame means and what it actually means to like get there and the steps involved and to kind of, I don't know, kind of poke at it a little bit and show it in a more real sense and see that it doesn't matter where you came from, it doesn't matter what you did in life, kind of like you can start whenever and do your own thing and be be good at it if you want to be. Um, and then as that story sort of unfolded, we had so much footage from the tour that we started to craft this sort of like narrative out of it and it it really worked well. And by the time we got to the last leg of tour, we went around Ireland. So I did Ireland as my very last show uh, Mm. to kind of cap it off and make it a fun event out of that. So after that, we were like, well, we're here in Ireland. We might as well drive to where the stories from the show take place and see some of my childhood places. And then it, it was, it kind of ended up being like a closer look at me as a person and where I came from that I've never been able to show in a video before. So as we went along, it kind of formed and evolved and ended up being what it is now. See, uh, the final form of this doc, uh, what I really love about this is it's sort of a, it's built a starter pack for anybody who wants to get into the Sean McLaughlin, Jack Septicai experience. Yeah. But it's also great for anybody who has seen the show, who just is a fan of yours. Mm-hmm. Like I, uh, my youngest brother was the first one that turned us onto your channel and then my wife and I just latched onto it (laughs) and after having seen all of that experience and like knowing some of the stories from there it was nice to have this background into your sort of humor and your your viewpoint on life yeah I think because I seeing everything kind of from the beginning I think kind of forms because I think a lot of who we are as adults is formed when we're kids without really realizing what's happening Mm -hmm. and I think seeing where I grew up and having a big family and things like that really informed my ability to kind of like make a room of people laugh and kind of going through that and then seeing where that evolves and being like, oh, that's why he's absolutely nuts. And that's why he's crazy and loud. And (laughs) he kind of like 
I, I feel like I was always very quick at like turning a phrase and coming up with a joke on the spot. And I think having a very quick witted family kind of did that for me. And I think there's enough in the show as well. There's a lot of kind of parents who brought their kids to the show and you could tell that they were like, like begrudgingly kind of sitting there being like, all right, let's do this. Let's listen to him talk about himself. And then by the end of it, they were like leaning in and there's stuff about school and stuff about growing up and merging all those aspects of your life and kind of finding your own path. And you could really see the parents kind of light up by the end of it and kind of like nudge their kids and be like, see, school's important and things like that. And I think that was cool that it managed to breach that gap. Especially because you you just think of the concept of a, a YouTuber or an influencer and a lot right. of people automatically have that sort of negative blanket connotation. Yeah. And then you really get to know some of these creators and it's, it's like it's like any material. You have to find your way in there through the people that you vibe with, the, the material that you're into. And then yeah. from that point on, you see just how much of a difference and how much of a, a place this does hold in culture. Yeah, I think it's, it, I mean, I get why certain people would think negatively on it because a lot of the stuff that makes the news in regards to influencers is often the bad stuff. I mean, that's just news in general, I guess. Mm. But I think all of the good that's being done in the sort of influencer community, like even just in the gaming community on YouTube alone this last year, the amount of money that was raised for charity is absolutely mind-blowing. And that's just something that kind of flies under the radar, unfortunately. But I think... I think a lot of influencers have a good head on their shoulders and the fact that they get to do it on their own terms and they're like self-made a lot of the times kind of, well, I guess it goes either way, either become a douchebag or you become humbled by it. So whichever, pick your poison. It's a person by person basis, I think. Either way, you end up on Philip DeFranco at some point. <laughs> well, it's one of those things where like, you know, I always... There are people, again, even even for you, because like you said, you, when you started doing this, it was about kind of making community, reaching out to people, but it wasn't, you didn't expect this is where it was going to end up. But I always liken it to, I, I always found it strange that I found that they, I could walk on the subway and somebody could just write something on a, on, on a subway poster. And it's just like the funniest thing in the world that who knows if they're ever going to try to be something in that realm. Like I'm going to be a comedian. I'm going to be an actor. Right. No, they're just, they're just quick and witty but they didn't have an outlet to kind of get out there to people. Yeah, I think TikTok in general is actually really good at showing people that now because a lot of people who are not even becoming like TikTok famous, but something will just blow up out of nowhere. And it's yeah. just somebody being themselves on camera around their house and just seeing that personality shine through and the fact that that's how they are all the time. It's like, man, you're super funny. You should probably do something with that. Or, I mean, a lot of people don't even want to do something with it, which is fine. They just, they do a nine to five job and they're happy with that. And they just want to be funny on the side. <laughs> I, I'm funny as a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> I do the nine to five job and I don't like it. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Personally. I'm just an entertainment journalist. Well, I try to be funny. Don't well, we I, all? I don't know if I actually am. People laugh, but I'm like, eh, it's just for pity's sake. <laughs> oh, that was real. That was real. <laughs> okay. I have to I say, believe though, it, <laughs> what I really enjoy, this is not necessarily about the documentary. This is about the stage show itself. And I, I almost feel weird saying it because what if I say it and I realize, oh, you had other plans, you just couldn't do it. Because what I loved about the stage show is the fact that people would probably usually take that opportunity to like, oh, well, we have to dress up the stage to kind of look like my room, like it's my setup and do it from right. there. But you didn't. You did it like it's just, this is just me and that's it. And I, and I really appreciated that. Yeah, I think because the... 
the impetus to make the show was watching Bo Burnham. I, I was going to go, I was going to go do a live show anyway. And I really wanted to, cause it was kind of the thing that YouTubers were doing at the time. And I, once I learned that the opportunity was there, I was like, okay, well, what's it going to be? I don't want to just get up and do anything. Cause mm. I, I probably could have gotten up and played games or something and people would have still been happy about it. And that's great. But I, after watching Make Happy, I was so obsessed with sort of the messaging behind it and the fact that there was more to it and there was subtext to it. And it was more about like what it is to be a performer and there was sort of a meta narrative to it. And I was like, yeah, that's what I want. I want to make a show and make sure that when people leave like a week later, they're still thinking about something from it. They ruminate on it a small bit. And I, as, as things kind of progressed and I started to form the show, it started to turn into that. And I was really happy about it. But then it became more apparent that, yeah, it probably should be just me on stage just with a microphone because it makes it a lot more personal, a lot more intimate. Mm. And I was, I, I always just love stand-up comedians anyway. And I was like, maybe I want to see if I can do that um and form my own show and then luckily i did people did laugh so i'm a certified comedian at this point but i think just that idea of like being on your own up on stage with a microphone is it was so outside my comfort zone that i wanted to try and challenge myself with it all right only because i just love to know everybody's opinion besides i guess bo burnham favorite stand-ups oh god uh i i used to be a big fan of bill hicks uh, my brother used to listen to him a lot yeah. when I was younger, and then I got into listening to Tool, and they talked about Bill Hicks course, a lot yeah. and have lyrics from him and everything. So I was kind of obsessed with him when I was younger, and he's he's always been near the top for me. What about you guys? I I Mike's probably sick of hearing about it now because I have plenty of old favorites, but I am a James Acaster fanatic, mm. uh, and I can't get enough of the guy. So that's where I go to right now. Nice giant George Carlin fan. Uh, yeah. Robin Williams, obviously, just the one of my favorite memories of Robin Williams is he had his live on Broadway tour and mm. my dad brought home the DVD. So we like watched it the one night and it was just like it was late one night that we decided to just watch it in the living room, had a blast with it. And it's like, let's look at the special features. There is a clip reel of all the noises that he makes through that show. <laughs> and it did two minutes. And I was, I got to a point of laughter that my father was like, everyone else is sleeping. You got to keep it down. And it's just like, <laughs> it's that fucking good. Yeah. No. Yeah. Robin Williams is a good one. I feel like him and Jim Carrey kind of formed a lot of my, my youth and a lot of that like animated energy. Oh, it was yeah. fun to see them and be like, oh, so you can be funny and be kind of like out there. Cause when I was younger, it was kind of like, no, stick to yourself. Don't make a show of yourself. Like keep contained. But they, yeah, that was, they kind of made it like animated and out there. And I, I kind of love that. Yeah, that was even kind of like for like, I would I want to say the mid 80s to like the early 90s. That the, the kind of style was like, okay, I'm going to be funny, but I'm going to be sly about it and kind of yeah. throw a little bit of a voice on it. And then you've got someone like Carlin who's just angry and is not afraid to make noises and gestures. And then yeah. Rob, like Robin Williams that whole time. And even to your, as you had mentioned, Jim Carrey. And like those old, those early, uh, even the early in living color days. Yeah. Just, he was the one that stood out because he was just really, the, he took his body to places you didn't think it would go. Yeah. And everybody else was afraid to do that because they thought it was obnoxious and that you had to just be like clean cut and just really funny. But he was like, no, you can, you can throw something else in there. Was I the only one though, who was like listening to Richard Pryor when he was like 10 years old? Yes. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> because, just because most parents were kind of like, yeah. We'll wait on this. We'll yeah, wait exactly. on Richard Pryor. We'll wait on Red Fox. 
Yeah, I didn't have access to it. So I, I would have loved to have been exposed to that stuff when I was a kid. Well, I yeah. think that's also what sort of opens up this sort of like these sorts of comedy these days is now that everything is basically available. Like the internet yeah. is just this gigantic library. People are people kind of have to push themselves into Bo Burnham territory or Jim Carrey territory where it's it's not just standing in front of a brick wall making jokes anymore. Yeah, exactly. Then again, there are the, but there there are still those pockets that people are still trying to discover, which is why, you know, like things like, like what, we, what we do and I imagine, you know, will come up every, anytime you do something as well is that you get the opportunity to introduce people to something they still didn't know about. They can find yeah. it, but they still don't know about it. Yeah, for sure. I feel, I mean, even just with games, I feel very fortunate that I get to expose people to all of this like culture of games that they just didn't know existed. And some people just aren't even into games and they would, they would never play them anyway. But then when yeah. you show it to them, they're kind of obsessed with that world and the narratives that are formed in them. Well, even your interview work is is enlightening to to that extent because something that I really liked that you showed off in the doc, but also, you know, anybody who watches your channel can see this, your conversations with Ryan Reynolds about <laughs> mental health and just showing, like I, being, also having the honor to talk to Ryan Reynolds as a journalist, I love how he really is out there in his films but then when you talk to him, he, he he really is more of that approachable sort of soft-spoken sort of guy that really is easy to talk to. And I really liked seeing you two talk about just, I guess, sort of male generational trauma, we'll call it, where it's yeah. like the masculinity paradox. I, I wanted to, I don't know, I've, I've kind of been obsessed with that conversation around mental health, especially in the sort of creator community, because I feel like it's something that every time I talk to people in private, everyone kind of has a story around it, but no one's talking about it publicly. Or at least these days, it's a lot more common, and that's great. I love that people yeah. are kind of pursuing mental health a lot more. But I feel like when it comes to like celebrity culture as well, I remember reading an article that he did before that talking about anxiety. But then everyone else is like, Ryan Reynolds doesn't have anxiety, not like me. Like, I have actual anxiety. It's like, I'm, everyone has it. Everyone has some form of anxiety, whether it's like crippling or it's just kind of like under the surface and you don't know it's there. But I feel like everyone these days in such a connected world is, has that pressure of what everybody else is thinking of them. And I kind of like hearing people in that position talk about those topics because I feel like they don't get asked too often because either people feel like it's, it's bothering them or it's too personal. But I feel like a lot of them are more willing to talk about it than people think. And I just like, if people aren't, if people like listening to me talk about it, then surely someone like Ryan Reynolds, who absolutely everybody seems to look up to, then it's cool to see him talk about it in such a real manner. And actually, I, I, I kind of like humanizing things and making it feel like they're actual people at the same time. And that everyone does go through those struggles and everyone does have something kind of under the surface that we're just not aware of. Because again, a lot of the stuff, like the stuff with Robin Williams as well, there's so much stuff going on under the surface that people just didn't even know about. And then something awful happens and everyone's like, man, I wish I knew. I wish I could have like said something about it beforehand, or I wish I had some prior knowledge about it. And Jim Carrey's come out recently and talked so much about how his depression throughout his entire career and how he felt like he was broken for a long time. And that was what was making, like the, pu the publishers of movies were like, no, stay broken. We want more movies from you in that regard. And now he's kind of like sticking up his middle finger at it and being like, I'm going out here and doing my own thing and painting. And I feel like there's so much of that in that culture that people just don't want to talk about, but I'm glad that it's kind of progressing to that pathway these days. 
see, that just makes me even more appreciative of him being in Sonic because I remember yeah. going to Sonic and watching him in that performance, it felt like you saw him having so much fun connecting to this. And yeah. just like that whole dance sequence where he's in the van sort of moving around the screens and everything is robotic. It's like, I feel like he's back. Like yeah, something- I felt like watching him from the 90s again. Yeah. And it wasn't just like, oh, I'm going to do this for, you know, for the last or for the money. It's like, no, he was there. That was yeah. him there. And you really just, it hit. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like he's like the best part of the whole movie. I want to see the sequel oh, yeah. just for him. He, he really he really was. He kind of like turned that into his movie in so many ways. And whether or not you liked it or didn't like it kind of things, you came out going like, that was just fun. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes that's all you need. Yeah, exactly. I am telling Ben Schwartz and Idris Elba on you guys. <laughs> turning you Don't get me wrong. Ben Schwartz is great. I love Ben Schwartz, but he wasn't around in my childhood to form my entire being. So yeah, I'm kind of biased. <laughs> But again, you're talking about the, you know, those mental issues with people who are mental health issues, excuse me, with, um, you know, people who are categorized as famous, which you are as well, of course, but you put yourself out there from minute one, whether or not there's things that you want to talk about, don't want to talk about. It's like, this is my personality where I think so many people, when it comes to celebrity culture, they think of them as not human beings almost when of course they are. And there has to be a point where you can get opened up to that level of, of their thinking. Yeah, well, people love like a hero. People love to idolize something. There's almost like a celebrity fetishism, I think, in society these days that they just need someone to be bulletproof for them to live vicariously through. Yeah. And if somebody else is out there living that sort of rock star lifestyle, they can kind of live vicariously through that and kind of live that themselves. And then it's it's whenever that kind of gets poked at, or then you realize that they're a real person, that sometimes they're... So I, whenever I hear stories about people saying like, oh, this person was an asshole when I met them, I'm like, well, you could have caught them on a bad day. Like I've had days where I'm just not in the mood to meet anybody. And then somebody comes up and asks for a picture and you definitely have to like grit your teeth and kind of like smile through that. Because uh, you don't want to ruin their day. You don't want to ruin their experience because it might yeah. be the only time they meet you. But I feel like a lot of that happens with people online and i i don't get followed around by paparazzi i don't get people like blocking my driveway or yeah bugging me and have camera flashes in my face all the time so whenever i see people there's that famous clip now of toby mcguire because spider-man was coming out and then he was like yelling at them about his car and everything and he, people are like man he's so angry i'm like wouldn't you be i yeah. i would absolutely be angry if people were all in my face all the time so I feel like just breaking down that barrier and realizing that these are just people and also not having this, because it's when you build something up that much, then if ever it falls, it's just going to crumble so much harder. And then it's hard to kind of like have the same perception of that again. So I feel like if people see me as a person, they'll treat me as a person and then they're not building me up to these impossible standards anymore. You know, I definitely had that experience where, you know, you sit down and talk to somebody that you've loved and then... I, I always felt, I always say this, it's like, he just had a bad day that day. I don't know what was going on. I hope that's what it was. And luckily, next time I talked to him, yeah, ended up being, I won't say who it is technically, but um, yeah. I will say that, yeah, it, it was it was the exact opposite. So like, it was just, uh, it's great to know though that it's not, because I think a lot of people want to try and put it on themselves because like you said, they see somebody as a hero, they want to live vicariously through them. Mm-hmm. So then they start to, if something happens, they put it on themselves somehow and that shouldn't be. Right, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, when you live through them, you kind of like, they're your avatar for like a better life in some ways. 
So if they're not everything you hope they would be, then you start to project your own stuff onto that. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like, wow, I can be just like that. That's sort of the downside of I can be just like that too. It's like some people take it a little too far. Yeah. And then yeah. no, that's that's not what I would do. Why are you doing that? Shame on you. Yeah. And I think that's what we tried to do with the tour as well. Not in any sort of like, no, I'm the one to do this. I'm going to show the world. But just that I think so many people did build up what I was doing so much over the years that I, it kind of, it added too much pressure to what I was doing. Because it, it really was just like starting playing games in my room. And I'm still just in my room playing stuff with all my crap in the background. <laughs> and I, it's just in my house. And I think showing the steps of where you came from and like, yeah, I struggled as a teenager as everybody did. And then coming into adulthood and still have absolutely no idea what I wanted to do. I never had like a full-time job, which I don't think a lot of people realize as well. And then kind of falling into this. And while I worked hard at it, a lot of it was luck at the same time. And I think just pulling that away and showing people the steps to it makes them realize, I kind of want to empower them to try it for themselves instead of looking at it and going, I can't do that. That's too hard. Well, it's also, you know, you are, especially in an age where, internet personalities and personalities in general, letting people in a little too much can be worrisome sometimes, but you also mm-hmm. were very open with not just yourself, but your entire family. And I'm wondering, were there ever times you said, maybe I just need to keep something back or it's like, no, it's gotta be part of it. That's why I have to introduce them to all of this. Yeah, I, I really struggled with that, whether, cause I, I don't really talk about my family that much online because I have a much bigger voice on the internet than they do. And you don't want to misrepresent them or say something on their behalf. And then they don't have a voice to kind of counteract that or anything. And I, I always try and like be respectful of them cause you don't want people going poking at your family either. Yeah. But I think because we were kind of poking further into my life with this, I felt like it was important to have them in it. And even though it's still showing more of myself than I ever have, it's still curated in a way. It's still only showing the bits that I still want to. We don't talk about like the, all the exact hardships that we went through when I was a kid or as a teenager, but just kind of like allude to them. Mm. And I think actually having them be able to talk for themselves in the documentary was really important and they were kind of jazzed to do it. But I definitely, in the start of my career, dove a little too far into that parasocial aspect of it because I, I started the channel wanting to find people who were like-minded who played games as much as I did or wanted to talk about them. And then when you do find them, you latch onto them a lot and you depend on them a lot. And it took a long time for me to sort of become more comfortable with that and get more healthy with it and talk to people and kind of distance myself from it and keep more stuff for myself as the years go on. And I think that that's also part of the journey. I'm not ashamed or regret any of that. I just think that it informs who I am better as a person now. And it's, it's kind of weird to see your whole entire arc laid out like on a day-to-day basis on the internet, but I think it's a cool sort of catalog for people to be able to see who you are as a person and how you grew. Well, it's especially wonderful that you br- you would actually bring people up on stage and sort of like have those sort of live demonstrations of, yeah, this is, this is you doing this. Yeah. There is no real, there's no magical barrier. It's just hard work and algorithms. Yeah, I... Because I knew I wanted to play games with people on stage anyway, because a couple of friends of mine did tours where they did that. And I thought that that was really fun and engaging the audience into that was cool. And then it, it was that thing where if somebody did have a YouTube channel and we managed to pick them out of the crowd, like this is your moment. You, this is literally your shout out if you want to <laughs> shout yourself out. And 
have all these people in the audience actually see what you do and they go home and maybe they'll all subscribe to you or whatever. But it again, like you said, it was that option to bring people up on stage and show them what it was like to see how like fun it is to do it when everybody's actually reacting to you playing a game. And I think a lot of people got up and really owned it. Some people were absolutely terrified, which is completely understandable. But then you had some kids who got up and absolutely owned it. And you're like, man, if, if you have a YouTube channel, you're going to go places with this. Just like bring that personality to it. But it was kind of fun to put them in the chair that I had been recording videos in and everything. <laughs> well, it's also great because, again, as much as video games can create a community with all of our online options, there are people who have never sat down with somebody in the same room and played a game together like, like we did when, when I was, well, I did when I was a kid at least. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's why gaming YouTube channels are really popular because it does give that vibe of, hey, I'm sitting down with my friend and I'm playing a game. And you always had that one friend who was like much better at a game that you couldn't beat. So you would watch them play it or they were into a certain genre of game that you just would never play, but you liked watching them play and vice versa. And I think that that's, that's what's fun about what I do. Like there's a lot of people who either can't afford a game or they can't get a PS5 right now. Or like I've been playing Elden Ring now and... I just finished playing Bloodborne on my channel. And that was one of the games that I was like, that's my favorite game ever. But a lot of people would never play it because it's it's so intimidating. And now I finally got to show it to people. Yeah. And they were obsessed with that world, but they'll never play it themselves. And I think that that's kind of cool. Well, it's also just a great, you know, a, a, it's a great sort of consumer tool. Like, do, am I going to like this game? Do I want to play quick time events? Do I want to play... Uh, a first-person shooter do i want to play a horror game yeah which is also another wonderful thing because that's like some people are may not want to play through pt and yeah. like watching someone play through pt it's like okay i i got all the silent hill knowledge i needed i just didn't want to play through that thing yeah it's, horror games especially people are very scared to play on their own um but i think streamers and youtubers are a great sort of marketing tool for games these days and some some dinosaurs in the industry are still like nope that's a sale that's lost i'm like not not really <laughs> um but, name names. yeah that that's a whole different discussion but i think it is it is cool to see how some developers have sort of adopted the the let's player community and really appreciate them and give out free codes to their games now and allow them to play it early and get episodes of it out i think one of my fondest memories is playing uh, the God of War game, the newer one. And then I was going through it and I had just read Neil Gaiman's Norse mythology book. And I was like, okay, I'm all brushed up. I know what I'm talking about. I know all of the Norse mythology now is when I get into the game, I'll know what I'm talking about. And then the developer for the game watched the series and he was like, man, he really knows what he's talking about. Like, this is a great series. And I was like, yes, he did it. Because I always, I always have that paranoia in the back of my head that I play someone's game and then as I'm talking about it, they're like, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Like, yes. screw you, man. Um, oh, yeah. but I, you don't want that call out moment. You don't want someone on the, it's just that one tweet. It's like, actually, yeah, you read Norse mythology by Neil Gaiman, you would know. Yeah, I'm, I'm terrified of the day when Bo Burnham makes fun of me. <laughs> 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 Which I feel like is inevitably going to happen because of... I don't know. I just have it in the back of my head where I'm like, please like me. I, I think you're so cool. I hope that you think I'm cool. <laughs> I'll, we'll call him. We'll find out. Oh, wait. I don't know. Oh, God. No, I, don't. I, I, please. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome sink. to the show. <laughs> <laughs> He's just on call, like muted in the background. And I have no idea. But what about, what about the, again, because even when you started, 
the burgeoning, you know, video game, let's play, walkthrough, whatever you want to consider it, the way it is now was literally burgeoning. It's not what it was yeah. now, it was then. So like going to the live show, ex- expanding your, your, your brand again into the movie world, into the stand-up world. Do you mm-hmm. always, are you always constantly having to think of what the next step to grow this is or it just all comes naturally? I think it's more organic than that. I think there's a lot of stuff that's happening on YouTube and you can chase algorithms and you can try and like push it and see, okay, what clicks into the system now. But I, I'm usually a person that sort of gets in when everything's figured out. I, I kind of just do it for fun still. And I, I, I do it organically and whatever creatively fulfills me. Like getting into coffee was something that a couple of years ago, I didn't think I would. It wasn't like, oh, I need to be this business mogul and get into all these different things. It was just... It made sense at the time. And I thought it was a fun venture to get into. And it was something that I feel like I actually had the time to get into now. Because when I was doing it earlier in YouTube, I just had no time except to make videos. And now figuring out that it is something that you can plug your creativity into, where it doesn't have to be all business, business, business. It's just fun to have something that's mine that kind of, I don't have to answer to anybody with. And like, I made a commercial for the coffee on my channel, which was me giving birth to a bag of beans that was covered in butter. I was like, I could never do that if I had to answer to somebody else. So (laughs) it's just a fun thing to be able to do. And I think whenever, whenever I can do something and like free guy was something that came into my lap and I was like, of course, I'm going to do this. I'm never going to get the chance to do something like this ever again. So why wouldn't I jump at it? Well, that was really spectacular to see that, uh, that Sean Levy just, he and Ryan Reynolds described the process of making this movie is just very, mercenary and run and gun like they had ideas like the jeopardy sketch and they went and had a splinter crew go film that and then approaching people like you to be actual youtubers in the movie like it's not just in any other hands it probably would have been oh this is just a cameo for the kids but the way that they integrated you and other figures in there was just so organic that it really was a love letter to not only those sorts of movies but also the, the gaming community Yeah, I think they were really smart about it. You could tell that they really cared because when I talked to Sean about it and he called me the first time and asked, like he was actually asking questions about the Let's Play community and about gaming in general. And you could tell that they they really wanted to get it right because I feel like a lot of people who make these movies are they're trying to either pander to general audiences or they're trying to pander to like gaming audiences. And then I think Free Guy was smart because they didn't do it on a game that's established but took elements from all these other games that already exist. So they didn't have to pander to any sort of franchise and appease the fans of that um but they they just really cared a lot about it and i think they were just trying to have as much fun as they could with it and it's it is one of those movies that could easily have been awful and could have been so cringe and people roll their eyes at and be like okay i get it gamer lingo but they they treated it well and they were kind of current about it and i think it was just really smartly written and again, it helps that Ryan Reynolds is in it and everyone loves Ryan Reynolds. But yeah. <laughs> whenever I talked to them about it, you could tell that they really cared and wanted to get it right. And then it came out and everyone loved it. <laughs> Free Guy now available on Disney Plus. If you haven't watched it yet, everybody go. Disney, <laughs> please say us. <laughs> Sorry, I, I had something in my throat there. Um, but with all this name dropping that we actually have done, uh, there's one name that we did not drop, which is part of the reason why we're here today. Uh, oh. We did not set up in the housekeeping that Mr. Sean McLaughlin here, Mr. Jack Septicai, CEO, has uh, chosen his overdue rental to be Edgar Wright's Hot Fuzz. Now, oh, yeah. when we heard that, when, when we got the message about this, 
it's this is something that we're always debating on no matter what movie it is uh because we've had a couple other friends come on the show and they're like oh i want to do that and then we're, we really question like is that really an overdue rental and we're not going to say no because we'll talk about anything on here but right. to open the door here we would like to know why you feel hot fuzz is an overdue rental i i think hot fuzz, hot fuzz is my favorite movie ever and it's it's one of those questions that everyone always asks, like, what's your favorite movie? And some people are like, yeah, I don't know. And they always go to like classics or they always mm. go to like, oh, Citizen Kane or something that had a massive like societal impact, uh, which is fine. But for me, I always, every time I watch Hot Fuzz, I'm like, this, it feels like no one's talking about it. Everyone either, everyone always talks about Shaun of the Dead in that franchise and in that trilogy, because it was the first one and it kind of like flipped genres on its head. But I think, Hot Fuzz is one of the best written movies ever. I, I've watched it at least eight times. And I feel like every single time I, I, I watched it last year with my girlfriend's sister came over because she had never seen it. And I was like, oh my God, that poster on the window changed <laughs> based on the joke that they said earlier and things like that just keep coming back. And I feel like, I feel like it's old enough now that it's worth like opening that door and talking about it. And I feel like no, people aren't talking about it. People should be talking more about Hot Fuzz. It's Edgar Wright's best movie. People either talk about Shaun of the Dead, Baby Driver. People don't talk about Scott Pilgrim. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, like Scott Pilgrim's just starting to sort of have more of a mo- more of a, a a large moment, partially because of the 10th anniversary. But now yeah. you've got this anime coming from Netflix. Yeah. But I would even say like, no one talks about World's End. Yeah, and I, I can yeah. I both agree, yeah. I love World's End to death, but Hot Fuzz, that probably was where everything just sort of locked in place for Edgar Wright. And that is just one of the tightest movies that I I think has ever been made. Like start to finish, that thing never lets up, never slows down to the point of going to a crawl. Like it's always just constantly moving. I, I would argue anybody to find a movie that has as many callbacks as it does, as many like little in jokes in it as like every single joke that's in that movie has a purpose. It's not just like, oh, funny, lol, haha. It actually comes back later and everything builds upon itself. And then not only does it have a great mystery to it, it's also a good parody and satire movie. And then it has an incredible twist at the end that even as you watch it for the first time, I don't think anyone actually gets until the end of it and then it just gets funnier towards the end and then the genre shifts completely at the end. I don't I don't know how that movie got made. I don't know how it's as perfect as it is. Forget about getting made just on all of the things you just mentioned because I I always like to bring this up like cuz I'm I'm obsessed with 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 British culture uh to be honest with you like so mm-hmm. I all I do is I go home and watch stuff that I can't that we don't get aired here in America. I, yeah. I watch it, you know, whether it's through YouTube or I, I found finally like an expat program I can watch stuff from. But like the cast in that thing and all of Edgar's movies. But like for people who don't understand like here in America who Bill Bailey is, like to understand just <laughs> every single person in that movie is like the biggest player like in the world. It's incredible that they were able to get that cast together. Yeah, there's um, <laughs> there's some insane people in it. Like um, the head of, what, is it Jim Broadbent who plays the, the dad in it? Mm-hmm. And he's, I don't think people realize that he's the same guy in Harry Potter as well. <laughs> Every time I bring up his name, that's what people have to, you have to bring it up. That's that's the way they'll, they'll know him, unfortunately. But it's it's Jim Broadbent, the guy's a goddamn legend. Yeah, it, there's so much like British royalty in it, and you have um, you have James Bond in the bloody movie that people don't even realize is in it as well. 
the first um, of of a couple James Bond references that Wright just throws out yeah, there. Yeah, throughout his career. No, but like even even again from smaller things like Alice Lowe to people who like may have like you know people may have not, now of course for this the world Olivia people know Olivia Coleman, but people didn't yeah, Olivia Coleman unless you were you know a, 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 a Mitchell and Webb fan for a while you may have not known her or something like that. Uh, Patty Constantine as well. I mean, I can't. I, the list can go on. We'll just be here forever. <laughs> oh yeah, Rafe Spall. Uh, yeah. Who, who who am I blanking on? There was uh, Lucy Punch. Lucy yeah. Punch. Uh, Rory. Uh, I forgot Rory's last name now. Because uh, everybody will know him after the, after Game of Thrones. But of course. You know, oh yes. Yeah. There's. I feel like there's so many people in it, and they're all playing such delightful characters, and it's all sort of stuff that you didn't think. I mean, I'm not going to spoil things, but there's some stuff that happens to James Bond at the end of the movie where you're like, he actually did that? Like, I can't believe they actually got him into that playground and he was just like, yeah, let's let's go for it and let's have fun. Timothy Dalton, man. I, yeah. You want to talk about unsung heroes. <laughs> uh, even, even just, not only his James Bond run, but then he goes and what does he do in between, well, leaving James Bond and his last James Bond movie? He goes and does The Rocketeer. Yeah, and there's, there's all this other interesting and neat stuff, and like some people that are in such a role like that might shy away from. Oh, I'm gonna go play a, a spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen The Rocketeer. I'm gonna go play a Nazi saboteur. <laughs> James Bond is a not. No, I don't. No, I do not see that happening. Well, I just, yeah. I just love Timothy Dalton. I he's my favorite Bond to be honest with you. I know people will get freaked out about that, but those are underrated to me. Yeah, he didn't he didn't get to do it for very long, but he was very iconic when he was in it. And then that just makes his performance as Simon Skinner even better. Just yeah. really lean into the the gleeful ghoulishness of this guy. And you might think he's a red herring, especially when he delivers all those various catchphrases, all the all the wonderful killer one-liners. Yeah. And then yeah. he turned out to be bad in the end. And it's just it's just that extra layer of of delicious. He's He's so delicious in that movie. Every everything is. I think it's also fun because as someone who lives in England and grew up around British culture all the time, I think there's so many inside jokes for British culture in it that a lot of people don't get either. Maybe that's why it didn't go as far as it could have. Hmm. But like just having them fight in such a British supermarket all the time and some of the jokes that they're making around that and having him go to like a shithole in the middle of the country with all of these like northern accents it's just so yeah. funny i just think i just think, i also think there are plenty of jokes that while they're obvious or maybe even if somebody hadn't wasn't sure but like saw the director's commentary and heard him like because the most you know quote unquote up until the end of the movie the most quote unquote action is like the stylized version of doing paperwork yeah <laughs> and it's and it's like that's brilliant yeah, I think Edgar Wright has some of the best editing in his movies. I don't know who his editor is and how much input Edgar himself has in it. I imagine quite a lot. A lot, yeah. I love that. I think it's it's something that I always try and do in my YouTube videos, or at least back then when I watched it, was that just that super punchy, really fast stuff. Like just him going to the countryside for the first time and having it be like, it's like 10 seconds and you get so much exposition so quickly like him just sitting there and the train flies by and the signal on his phone is going down and down and down. And it's just so quick all the time. He does it really well in Scott Pilgrim as well, but I think the pace and the editing is my favorite part of that whole movie. Oh yeah. I mean, it's just, it really was just one of those stylistic flourishes that really became his 
because you you see that even in Shaun of the Dead, where it's like quick cut on name tag, brushing teeth, cup of tea. Yeah. And then in a sense, I want to say Baby Driver was the graduation of it because it was a mm-hmm. movie that it used it organically. It wasn't, this is the gag. It's like, no, no, this is the visual language. Like it was, right. it was that gag gone serious. And yeah. then going to his next film, like going to Last Night in Soho, he sort of went for more of the, a very different style where it wasn't as quick cutty. It was more lingering and more experimental. Yeah. But yeah, it was really nice to sort of see that evolve along with, you know, just the Britishness of it all. Yeah, I will say as someone who is like the biggest Edgar Wright fan, I did not like Last Night in Soho. I feel like, all right. I feel like, I feel like wow. not much of his personality is actually in it. I feel like it's, if you watched it, you wouldn't know it was an Edgar Wright film. I know, I know what you mean, but I mean, like for part of it, that's what I. There are parts of it that's what I enjoyed about it because I will call. I, I I called it his most straightforward film, even though there are right. still the hints in there. But that's what I, I mean. Again, even if you didn't like it as much as other films of his, of course, that makes that makes no difference. But it's as much like how I always talk about Spike Lee, because for a mm-hmm. while Spike Lee was, even though they're great movies, it's like you can tell this is just the Spike Lee movie, and then around like late 90s and 2000s, he just, he just started trying to do different things. And even if you liked it, you didn't like it, you appreciated how he tried to change it a little bit and not just do what everybody's used to. Yeah, I do like that it is a different type of movie. I do like that he's trying to uh, veer into other genres all the time. I just think he's so good at what he does that it would be nice to have a little more of those flourishes here and there, but it's not it's not the movie for it. It's a lot more serious. And like you said, it's a lot more straightforward and it's it's kind of more on the nose than it is Hot Fuzz. I mean, nothing's ever going to be as good as Hot Fuzz. <laughs> it's the tightest movie of all time. Well, it's just like comparing something like Pulp Fiction to say Death Proof. Like, I right. think that's, a, that's something that at Quentin Tarantino sort of got that same sort of feedback you gave last night in Soho. He got that sort of feedback with Death Proof where it was just very, yeah, it was true to the influences that he was pulling from but mm-hmm. it was so straightforward with that influence that it didn't feel so much as uh, it didn't feel as much as a Quentin Tarantino movie as it did Quentin Tarantino plays the classics like plays right. the plays the influence versus playing the Quentin Tarantino of it all yeah and I guess I can I can understand that as well as somebody who creates for a living that if you want to do something different it having people then say like there's not much of you in it i guess is like <laughs> like there wasn't supposed to be idiot <laughs> yeah it's, it's me i'm the idiot <laughs> <laughs> it's like the wrong person says that and it's like but but what what, what did you not like it it's like yeah you not like me <laughs> well i guess it, it's any artwork you get you take the good and the bad equally and you just see where you end up in the middle and if people People hate it. It's the kind of the same with The Last of Us 2 came out last year and the amount of discussion that was around that, there was no middle ground with it. It was either pure vitriol or pure praise. And I feel like, I feel like it was almost better that way because it was way more discussion around it. And I think that that's more fun than if it came out and it did the same things again and everyone was just like, yeah, it's great. Cool. Well, that's maybe like a, a good reason to think maybe not just forgetting about, you know, worldwide appeal for something like Hot Fuzz for it to kind of catch on. But that idea that even if something's really good, unless it's, you know, gets some awards somewhere, unless something's really bad, the divisive stuff gets talked more about because it's so divisive. And maybe that's why some of these things get left off in the trail somehow. Yeah. 
And honestly, having hot fuzz be kind of, well, it's not really niche, but in the world of like the amount of movies there are right now, I guess it would be considered. And I think there's something about that that's really nice. Because another another comedy movie that I, I love is In Bruges. And I feel like that's one that no one talks about either. Well, that's that's on the list to talk about for us too. Absolutely, yeah. And I'm like, that that's like one of those like hidden gems as well. And I almost like that it's hidden that not many people, because then when I explain it, especially with Hot Fuzz and I tell people that's my favorite movie of all time, they're like, really? Because I saw it and I didn't really think that. And I'm like, watch it again. It's, yeah. it's a lot more fun. <laughs> I kind of just want to save him Bruges for, for Sean now if he wants to come back because <laughs> just be, I don't know, something's just clicking there. It's like, ooh, that's, I, I love whenever someone like sort of battleships their way into guessing something we have. Right. <laughs> and it's just, it's a beautiful thing. Well, it's I, it's just one of those movies that because there's, I think because there's Irish actors in it and then there's British actors in it, that's something that kind of like sings to me. And I feel like that kind of humor where it's a bit more dry and sarcastic and a little darker kind of lends itself more to my sensibilities sometimes. Well, I will say, because I could I could sit and talk about that movie, just talk about Colin Farrell in that movie for like mm-hmm. three hours. But since you since you kind of brought it up, because one of my, my favorite films of all time uh, is The Guard. Mm. I'm totally obsessed with that film. And that's, if you want to talk about, you know, one of the, another, you know, pure Irish films, that's one that, I'd also love to talk about. <laughs> that's, Martin that's Martin McDonough's brother that did that one. Yeah, right? yeah, I've got the other McDonough. Yeah. Okay, the other McDonough. <laughs> I'm Nothing sure he loves people calling him that. <laughs> Nothing against John Michael. I'm just saying, you know, people. Most people know Martin more than they do John, unfortunately, right. which is which is sad because also Calvary is also is an amazing movie. Okay, I need that's to add these to my list. Oh, the guard. Oh, the guard. Oh, oh, that's that's another Brendan Gleeson one. Yeah, but, Brennan Gleeson uh, and Don Cheadle, right? Don Cheadle, yeah. But it's, it's, it all takes place. That is that. a weird pairing. But it's it sounds so beautiful when you hear, yeah. what if we put Brendan Gleeson and Don Cheadle in a movie? It's like, is this... It, it's it's very much a fish out of water kind of thing. I won't, talk, I won't say anything about it uh, other than it's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in my entire life. Everybody go watch The Guard and prepare for the, the eventual episode. Yeah. yeah. And everyone go watch Hot Fuzz as well. Why oh, is yes. no one watching oh. Hot Fuzz? Oh yes, just everybody go watch Hot Fuzz and the whole Cornetto trilogy. Like yeah. this, is, this is even though it's technically only a trilogy in like influence the loosest term. And in yeah. you know, a trilogy in the loosest term, yes. Even though it's a trilogy in the loosest term, it really is this interesting experiment in tones and in storytelling. And one of the reasons I love world's end so much which i won't go too much about that because we also have that in the back pocket right i loved simon Pegg's performance in that i was going to say yeah especially learning years later that he pulled from his own life experiences for gary and just that moment where he's breaking down in front of nick frost like you you're you rarely get that sort of moment with actors and then they just happen to be actors that have not only worked together so well but just have this wonderful rapport and it's just it's one of those movies where one of those moments where a movie stops, but it's not because of any bad timing or anything. It's just, it's such a captivating, heartbreaking moment that you're watching something unfold and it's so riveting. Yeah, I think for sure, he's been in so many things since then and he's great in everything that he's in, but I think that that's definitely his best performance that he's ever Mm. put on film. And I think as somebody who has those issues like in their family as well and has had people deal with that and go through alcoholism, 
I think watching that is so it's so like it's so visceral to watch him go through that and it's so naturalistic as well because it's all kind of like it's very British culture as well where everyone's going to the pub all the time and you always have the one friend who's just never grown up and kind of still lives in like small town and that that's all they've ever been good at yeah and I think seeing that and see it be played out so well is absolutely incredible we <laughs> Because my girlfriend loves Hot Fuzz as well. And we love watching Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. But then whenever we get to the world's end, she's like, I don't want to. It's it's too sad. Oh, all right. <laughs> well, that's kind of the trajectory that the, the trilogy took. Because looking at the numbers, they, like, this is the the highest performing of all of them. Like, it makes 80.7 million. And wow. it's only, like, 12 to 16 to make. And then they go, like, okay, we're, we're going to give a little more of a budget to world's end. And it got the 20. And then it made 40. So like, yeah, you, you made your money. It is, it's like, it's like a base hit, but this yeah. was like the grand slam when you think about it. Yeah, for sure. Well, it, it's funny because you mentioned your girlfriend doesn't want to watch the world's end necessarily because she, it gets sad, but I always find it interesting because my, my brother and his wife actually told me the reason they didn't like the film that much is because they didn't know anything about it going in. Mm. So when it turns the whole movie turns into the alien invasion por portion of it. They're like, oh, what's this? We were having such a, a, a great uh, discovery of these people's lives and now it's this alien yeah. thing. And, you know, like, and I get a little bit of it, but that's what, it's, it's the same thing with like the, the woman who tried to sue because the drive uh, trailer made her think that it, it wasn't gonna be an action film. It's like, but I wanna <laughs> be surprised like that. And I wanna be taken on a journey in a different way than it's always done. And that's how you do it. Edgar knows how to do it. Yeah, and I feel like the whole trilogy is kind of building on those ideas anyway, that you get one thing with something else, and it's like his take on, on different versions of it. But I don't know. I like a good sad movie. I like when things get miserable. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Even though Hot Fuzz is my favorite movie, but I love a good sad ending. I definitely, I've, I've talked to Edgar a few times, and he always mentions that he thinks of the movies as Trojan horses, and that's, that's the way he tries to build them. Love that. What a legend. Yeah, he is. Absolutely. <laughs> You apply that to Hot Fuzz, and it's like, yeah, we're getting a Lethal Weapon, Bad Boys, uh, Point Break, point break yeah. And then it's like, but wait, there really is this well-built sort of dollhouse mystery in the center that yeah. you, you weave through. And again, that's just that experiment in tones where it's like, if you're really taken with a movie or a person that makes that movie, you trust them to take you through that journey. And no yeah, matter yeah. where, no matter where you end up at the end you'll at least take that journey. Yeah, how do you tell someone that you have Point Break and like Bad Boys mixed with Scream? Like, how does that ever work? And how does it pull it off and then have it be funny at the end yeah. of the day as well? And actually going now, I just forgot about it and not to like change it back to like the comedy of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But another, it contains another amazing joke that I still don't think people who love the film know about or understand because of the Neighborhood Watch Alliance and those initials. That's yeah. like, that's the joke for the ages. Yeah. <laughs> Again, there's just layers. It's like a good cake. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then, of course, the swan, like just all of the hijinks with this one. Chekhov's swan. Yeah. Who would have thought that you could you could shove that in there and have it be Stephen Merchant as well and have yeah. it be P.I. Staker? Like how, <laughs> how many jokes can we like slam into one place? I still feel like it's the most quotable movie. Every time yeah. I'm walking through my house, anytime I hear somebody say like, oh, it's, they like listen to their age, it's like, 
50 whatever but i'm actually 53 and then 53 or anytime i hear the greater good now i have to double it up (laughs) well i actually like i was not prepared for it honestly and i don't know if it's been going on forever but i only noticed for the first time that like i was scrolling through instagram the other day and it was what was so what was it february it was the 20 22nd 22nd yeah so like all all the posts like every year like oh (laughs) (laughs) it's a thing i didn't even realize it yeah. Well, there was also that uh that really interesting thing Edgar Wright posted where it was the area that the church steeple was supposed to be in, but not the exact one. Yeah, that I saw the that. steeple actually fell over because of that superstorm. Yep. It's just art her life imitates art at this point. We're all gonna have one-up bars in the next couple <laughs> of years. And like hearts, so. flaming swords, like <laughs> all dressed like Jason Schwartzman at the Chaos Theater. <laughs> Nice callback. Wear, wearing Michael Myers mask, but you know the actor, not the <laughs> not the shape. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Everybody, you know, I'm sure we'll go check out the documentary. But is there anything else coming up that we should let people know about that maybe should be on their radar? I think just the documentary for now. I won't fill people's plates too much. People have enough on their plates these days. Just if people are into the documentary and want to learn more about me and YouTube in general, then hit it up. Well, here's hoping that you do another U.S. tour at some point because watching the Seagulls in Ireland, I think they could give the Seagulls in Jersey a run for their money. And I want to test this. Okay. I don't think I ever willingly want to go into Jersey, but we'll see what happens. (laughs) There are some nice parts. You You went to Philadelphia. We're not that different. That's true. Yeah. What am well, I depending on what part you go to? Yeah. I, I went to Iowa. It, what there's nothing to do in Iowa. People <laughs> ask me what my favorite thing about Iowa was so far. And I was like, potatoes. <laughs> like, you, don't, you don't really have much going on. <laughs> well, they'll find well, so they'll find something for you next time. <laughs> Hopefully. Maybe there'll be a statue in my honor. People can throw eggs at holding it. potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Sean, for your time. No today. problem. Thank you guys. It was super fun. Anytime I get to talk about hot fuzz is a, a wonderful time. Uh, you, you know what? One fuzz minute. We should just start it right now. It's like hot fuzz minute by minute, like all those other podcasts. It's been done with heat. It's been done with, uh, I forget what other movies. It's been done with other movies. It's time <laughs> for hot fuzz to get its minute. Yes, please. <laughs> Take it easy. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks. John McLaughlin, uh, Jack Septicai, uh, whatever, oh, Shaq, whatever you want to call this man, I'm still just, Matt, help me here. I'm still, I'm, I'm still at a bit of a loss for words as to what we've just done in a beautiful way. We've ruined something out. <laughs> I, no, I seriously just, for as long as my wife and my, my family and I have been watching jacksepticeye on youtube it's just really cool to get to talk to him in long form and just see like he just see him be chill and awesome and to bring up hot fuzz which i'm i don't know he does make a case for hot fuzz being somewhat of an overdue rental and i was not sure how that was going to go until it did yeah no it's because again as we mentioned when, when we spoke to him, and I think people should know, both you and I uh, always have our agreements, our disagreements, and we have some other films that we may disagree with about our overdue rental feelings if they, if they really fit the, 
the idea of something that's not talked about as much anymore. Um, but like Hot Fuzz is one that I think you and I agreed with, and we both are very much in agreement on The World's End being more of the overdue rental and our technical favorite, I think, Edgar Wright films. But when you hear him talk about it and you hear him make his case, you know, it, it sounds plausible. I mean, it, it's especially plausible when uh, Clark Collis, I believe I'm pronouncing his name right. Forgive me, Mr. Collis, if I'm not. Uh, I believe he's with Entertainment Weekly. He wrote an, like a, a whole oral history about how Shaun of the Dead was made. And that does seem to be like the primary film that everyone jumps to because that was Edgar Wright's sort of, that was his calling card. But I guess because you and I are part of that contingent that's always talked about Hot, but, hot Fuzz, that doesn't feel like, uh, it, it doesn't feel like a movie that's been sort of pushed to the side. But when when Sean described it the way he did, it almost sounds like, well, yeah, historically, maybe it is. It, it, it's very much a subjective viewpoint as to whether something is an overdue rental or not. Yeah, well, it definitely, I mean, in the pantheon of film in general, it definitely doesn't fit into like, whether or not the, the, the returns were huge, big blockbuster, uh, you know, visions that we see about things when when the box office explodes it's not you know spider-man no way home kind of stuff but in the same breath for people not just like you and me but for people who do do a lot of film work i do see it mentioned so very often which is why it doesn't feel that way to me but it's interesting how of course everybody not just us are going to see things slightly differently yeah i mean again that's just part of what makes overdue rentals work so well because we can talk about any film through that prism especially when the guest happens to be a very influential youtuber who has his 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 opinions that we will very much not reject because <laughs> it's just an honor to be able to talk to him and for everybody who wants to make sure they catch the film of of how do we get well it's how do we get here the, the stage show is how did i get here but the film version is how do we get here um, it will be available on the Moment House platform on February 28th. Make sure you go check it out. It's going to be premiering on that day. Uh, and uh, Mike, where can people find us? You can find us on Facebook and I believe at TikTok on Overdue Rentals. On Instagram at Overdue Rentals Show. On Twitter at Rentals Overdue. And the part that I do remember, if you want to send us any love letters, recommendations, what have you, uh, wonderful emails of varying content, you can email us at overdurentals at gmail.com. Or even if you want to be a guest. And now that we've had Jack Septic Eye, Sean McLaughlin on our show, I would very much like to get Markiplier on here because I think he would be just a lot of fun. And that's another, another fantastic YouTube gamer slash media personality that is a lot of fun to to behold yeah there's a lot there's a lot of people i would like to talk to we'll, we'll, we'll reach out to them and see if we can get them but till then mike bye 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 <laughs>